You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. of Storyteller Conclave, a show all about helping you run the best tabletop role-playing game you can, whether it's a new storyteller or a dungeon master learning the craft or an experienced storyteller looking to bring your game up. I'm Rob, and I'm lonely, and Sarah's not here. But I brought a friend! Yes, yes, yes. I actually have somebody here with me in the studio today, but we'll get to that in a moment. We have some updates. Uh, nothing major. Uh, the uh, Patreon is live. You can always go on there. And I am looking for uh, good ideas. Uh, I've seen a few so far that I've really liked from a few people. Um, one of the ones is uh, that somebody was actually interested in me running a one-shot maybe. Uh, so uh, talk more about it on the forums with us. See if that's something everyone's interested in. I can even throw maybe a poll up there if I can figure out how Discord allows me to do that. Uh, if not, I'll make up some kind of Google Doc and we'll, we'll do it that way because I know they have those. Um, we are still dealing with the uh, Listen Live on uh, Podcast Detroit. Uh, the web listener isn't up yet, uh, but you can still go and use the app uh, and use that. Uh, we're hoping to get that, uh, get some more information on that soon. Again, it's not our engineers here at the studio and it's definitely not Podcast Detroit. Uh, we're working forward with a separate group who actually takes care of that streaming service. So I am now going to take a moment here and introduce our secret guest today. Uh, he is a man of esteem who's God, probably been storytelling for at least 20 years. You took a break, though. I will say that. If you want to take the uh, break into account, I was trying to do the math. Okay. I, I think my first story was about 34 years ago. Wow. So uh, I, I'd like to introduce you all to Earl Cook, a good friend of mine and Sarah's. Uh, and uh, I, I'm just, I have to start this off because if I don't start it off this way, I'm going to get poked. Okay. How's that game coming? <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of that break, uh, there is a long overdue project uh, for a dear friend who uh, has been uh, waiting very patiently for me to pick up the dice and the screen. And uh, we're going to talk about that a little bit more during the episode. God, I hope so. All right. So – I know a lot of you guys were asking, maybe some of you have seen the Twitter feed, uh, about what today's mystery episode will be. Well, <laughs> the cat's out of the bag a little bit. It's about when players aren't there. I mean, we literally, as storytellers, work on stories and we build our scenes and we create our NPCs and we make sure we have the right group. And we have all these things put together and we're so ready to run our story and we get there and someone's late. Or someone's just, you know, last minute tells us they're not going to show up. Or we're a couple scenes in and we're in the middle of a fight and somebody messages and says, I can't make it tonight. Now, there's all kinds of reasons for that. And I think the biggest things that we have to do is talk about what do you do then? I mean, and it's kind of comedy. Yes, the whole point behind it was that Sarah wasn't going to be here. And I thought, okay, this is a pretty amazing topic that I should talk about. And I will fully admit this was not my idea nor my first idea. My first idea was running something comical here for you guys tonight. But 
my wife actually came up with this. She said, why don't you do something about when people aren't there because Sarah's not going to be there. And I'm like, OK, that's just too brilliant to not do. So here we are. And I pulled uh, Earl in because he's had the experiences as well as I had in storytelling and been both on both behind and at the table with it. So I thought he might be at. Plus, he's doing some unique stuff too, but we'll get to that. So talking about being late. I know that, you know, you have your typical kind of things of, you know, what happened? You know, are they late? Are they tardy? Are they not there until very late in the game? I know that can kind of cause problems. Um, For me, it's – I guess for me, I have more of a problem if they show up late. There's the long-running gag of, you know, gamer standard time. Like, (laughs) when when, when are we really going to get going? Yes, exactly. And, like, you know, you – I think – as a storyteller, I've always done the uh, say that game is going to start at noon when you know it's not going to start till one. <laughs> that can be very effective. Yeah, because I mean everybody knows you get there. People kind of are on their own little time schedule and it's kind of like a, a loose thing. But the the more tight-knit the group, the more they mm-hmm. want to sit down and start playing. But – I still think there's that, you know, everyone gets there and sometimes they haven't seen each other for a while or there's some kind of meme they got to show off or something to that effect. Um, but I think it still comes down to the players who are significantly late, you know, who haven't uh, shown up or haven't uh, been good at showing up on time and maybe an hour or two late that I think kind of stab you as a storyteller a little bit in your own feelings about it. It gets you frustrated more than you really want it to be. Well, it can feel very personal because you're playing kind of the centerpiece. I mean, even if you're not like, I mean, you and Sarah have been very good about, uh, I think, hitting a, a central tenet of it's not just about any one person at the table, but you do kind of feel like as the the, the GM um, that you have a kind of responsibility too, so that if things aren't going well, mm-hmm. It's it's reflecting like, am I not running a good enough game to draw you in? I mean, it feels personal, even if it's not. I mean, there's right all kinds of reasons not to be there on time. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, it. I guess for me, it's it is that stab of like, I did all this work effort, and you're not even going to show up. Now we all know life happens. It's a game. Life happens. Well, and managing those feelings can be some of the hardest things as a storyteller, especially early on. Um, I know for me personally, uh, as a player, I take it almost harder than as a storyteller. Like I, I was sitting at a game not long ago and uh, a player was consistently late. Now we all had it on our schedules. We literally every, uh, after every session would go, Set you know on our Discord site that we had for that we would say okay what dates are good what mm-hmm. times are good make sure it's on your schedule I think somebody even put in like a a calendar event through Google so everybody would get the calendar event and this one person was consistently late like hours late because of either work or something got scheduled now some of it couldn't be helped because it was you know scheduling beyond the authority that's fine but. On other time, the other, the other time it was they just flat out forgot to put it on their calendar and ended up scheduling double scheduling with their spouse, and then was like two hours late. And that's naturally very frustrating because you you made an effort to try and put everybody on the the same page, mm-hmm. and it fell apart. And if it happens once, you're like, okay, well, you know. But if it's consistent 
over time, you you do feel rather unimportant or or neglected. Yeah, um, I mean, in that case, I was feeling bad for the storyteller mm-hmm. as sitting there as a player. But I think managing some of those feelings, at, at least imagining managing the initial hit, and as a player looking at the storyteller and saying, "Hey, uh, can we move forward with something? Can we continue with what we have here versus just waiting and waiting and waiting?" I mean, obviously, like I know I've waited. As much as I would say as a storyteller, maybe an hour for a player who said they were running a little late. And then I was like, nope, we're getting started. Well, and again, that's uh, someone who gave you the heads up of, hey, something's come up. Right, and, right. Uh, they're, they're, they're doing what is, I think, polite uh, right. uh, in responding to you and just being like, I'm really sorry. Hey. Yeah. I mean, for you, like uh, in your opinion, if you are the player who is being tardy, mm-hmm. what do you feel is your responsibilities? Uh. Again, with that's kind of that central theme. Is it's not about one person; it's about a group of people. And um, if I'm holding things up, I, I honestly, I'd, I'd be impressed if you held it for an hour. I'd, I'd honestly tell you if I'm not there thirty minutes after start time, go. Right. Um, and you know, I'll do my best to make the least possible inconvenience. You know, inserting myself, you know, in whatever fashion you devise when I get there. And I think that's something that we'll we'll definitely we'll talk about. I mean, a little bit further in this of how to handle it, but I think the getting past that and and growing as a as a player and recognizing. I mean, I think initially we all are kind of adolescents in it. We don't necessarily know how we should react or what we should say or what we should not say or you know how bad we're supposed to feel about being late or something like that. But I think finding that level of respect and and Group dynamic is important and I think the utmost is being respectful of who you're going to see and the group that you're with and keeping that contact level high. And that uh, – since I'm standing in for Sarah, uh, yeah. she's usually very good about pointing out the the need to communicate. Yes. Um, you know, like, hey, you know, you've been running late for a bunch of sessions. Um, you know, are we running them at bad times for you? Mm-hmm. You know, do we need to do them maybe a little less frequently and that will make it easier? Or ten, change the time slot even in the day. Yeah. I know some people are not morning people. I, I, I fully admit uh, <laughs> you know, I am I, a creature of the night. That Very much so, you know, and, and that does cause, you know, a certain – Frustrations on its own with mm-hmm. some people. So so we know that we have to manage those feelings. We have to get through them. Um, but the fact is it's going to happen. So as a storyteller, you always have to be prepared for it. Um, it's not easy. It's not something that most of us think about in within our story. But I think that all of us have to I don't, not necessarily write it in. But be prepared that in any story, there's going to be a point where someone's just not going to be there. I think it's harder for um, your more scripted GMs than uh, – or maybe I should say better planning. Like the the heavy, heavy planners, the ones who have a lot of notes, mm-hmm. than is necessarily for those who do more of an off-the-cuff kind of game to yeah. make those adjustments. Well, I think early on in in – in storytelling as a whole, if if you're early on, you're planning more because you're not as you don't feel as prepared to be able to work things off the fly, especially if it's a system you don't know well or a setting you don't know well. Or I mean, like we were talking earlier, if it's a module that you're literally playing, that gets really challenging. Like how do you ad lib into a module? You know, those kind of moments can get very stressful if you've never even run before if you're if what you have run has been limited 
So and again, it's, I guess it's a your mileage may vary uh, moment of you have to find the techniques that work for you. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, for example, I mean using using the Sarah's out of town kind of thing. Sure, I'm sort of like the guest player you brought to the table. Very much so. Uh, to maybe play an NPC or maybe play her character for her with her mm-hmm. blessing. Right. Uh, whatever thing works for you and your group. Right. Right. And I think that's that's kind of where we 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 you know kind of step into it. So as far as like things you've done or things you've been involved in, I know I've had situations where the storyteller literally just piles them up in the corner, you know, pile that, that mm-hmm. unconscious PC in the corner and forget about them. Don't include them in the story. They're not there. We're just going to do something else. What other things have you either used or uh, have been involved in? Um, I've done a few different things from uh, straight up running the character myself um, as an NPC. Do you find that successful for you? It varies. Um, if you have uh, an established game and an established uh, relationship with a person, it's much easier uh, because you you have a feel for like you you know that uh, you know Dirk Daringhood is the one who is always going to be the one who you know rushes into that room with his sword out. Right. So it's sort of easy to to pick up on those cues. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I usually try to play them a little bit more conservatively and play them back when I've done that. Uh, you don't want to put them at risk. You certainly don't want to lose a character um, or have something major occur to them that they didn't have agency in. Right. Um, but that is one thing that I have tried that that's worked uh, in the past. But, again, that was with that person at that time in that mm-hmm. game. Yeah, I, I would think that would be a very specific situation where that would comfortably work. Yes. Um, probably more so if that person was already heavily involved in that portion of the story, you did a, a pause and it was the next, yes. it was the next, you know, day or, or even like you're just continuing the same scene and you just had to pause at last session. On, on other texts that have worked that I've tried, um, we've brought people to the table temporarily, mm-hmm. uh, with just sort of like they were at, they were in a town. So it was kind of easy to do a, you know, character A is um, called off for a family emergency. Like the, he was from that area, so it was very easy to just kind of write him off as he had a thing. Sure, just like the person in real life. Um, we brought somebody else in. They, you know, were a good fill for the the adventure for that that segment of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, they ended up coming in later and becoming a permanent part of that campaign. Oh, nice. Um, uh, another thing I've done um, is uh, put people um, not piling them up in the corner, mm-hmm. but if if it's viable within your story, giving them something to do. Okay. Uh, in this case, uh, my most recent one, I had someone who was playing a very academic character. Okay. And a part of their whole motivation was coming to this place was that there was an excellent library. Okay. And they'd been trying to work angles to get access to the library. All right. So I just happened to do – they, at the last minute, had a work thing. They weren't going to be able to make it. Um, they were kind of important to the story. But I'm like, you know what? Here's what we'll do. Uh, your character got access to the library. That's where you're at this whole you okay. know, adventure. Um, however, they can call on you at the library because you've said it's okay if I give you a 10-minute phone call at work, right? Oh, nice. And they're like, yeah, I can do that. You know, quick little conference call kind of thing. Sure. So we speaker phoned in and, you know, role played over the phone. All right. Um, a quick, you know, thing. I think there were a couple of pictures sent over uh, Google Hangouts to okay. give a, 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 a rough layout of what they were looking at. Right. They provided their, their you know, wizardly advice. Okay. And then um, did they, well, you know, I, I only have a few more hours here before they'll close the doors and send me out. So, uh, uh, you know, you can talk to me again later. And then the rest of the party went off to go and get themselves back in trouble Nice. Uh, while this person continued working that's, and staying employed. That's a neat way of doing it. I could also see that working uh, not if you didn't necessarily have contact with a player. You could have them impart knowledge. 
to the players in that same way. So I could totally see that as being a very, uh, a, a very good way to, that's cool. I like that. I like that a lot. Um, I know that for me, I've done situations where you, you play the alternative storyline. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you're not, you know, I mean, if you're in the middle of an encounter, the totally different situation, you know, some storytellers will straight up just knock out the character or will in, in situations like an adventurous pulp kind of story, you can have them, you know, dive through a window with a, an NPC and then they show up scenes later. Okay. And unscathed, you know, or whatever, you know, you have that, they drop out of the scene. But mm-hmm. I think for the, uh, the traditional stories where it's like, okay, so you guys just made it into this town, you know, and the plot's going in this direction and you really don't want that other player to miss out. You do a side story, you know, mm-hmm. where you pull a – the smaller section, you know, you pull off a little bit of the cotton off of the ball and you say, okay, you're going to go off this way and do this other thing. Um, so I think it's it's a different way of of altering the story. It gives – the players who are there who made the effort a little mm. extra and it's not so much giving them – I shouldn't say giving them extra but it giving them credence for coming to the table and making the effort and yeah. being there for it. Um, but I, I think I wouldn't last more than one session before putting plot back on the, the table as an option mm. You know, if that other player wasn't going to be around. And again, it's the difference between making a uh, short-term accommodation for the unpredictable and adjusting. You can just call it adjusting to a different reality. Like, yeah. you know, we thought we'd have you available for regularly for this, but unfortunately we don't. So we're going to move forward without you. Uh, when you can be regular again, great. Yeah. And I think that kind of lines us into like the, the truth of this is that it's going to happen. And I think as storytellers, we have to be prepared. And as players, we have to be prepared for moments like this. You can't get frustrated. So I, mm-hmm. I mean, we talk about, you know, what are good knowledge points for a storyteller, you know, a new storyteller or a new player? What should they know? What should they know? And I think this kind of goes into that hat of mm-hmm. ideas is be prepared for, you know, I'm not going to say shitty nights of gameplay, but not what you expected. So, you know, hey, if you expected this to be a dungeon crawl where everybody was going to get together, you're going to go crawl down through this dungeon and you're going to pound out, you know, whatever, and you're going to just keep going down because it's like, you know, battle royal stuff and mm-hmm. somebody doesn't show up and the GM decides to give you a puzzle room where the other person's locked out of the room, mm-hmm. you know, or a series of rooms, that's something that's going to happen and you have to not be frustrated about that. You have to be willing to work with the storyteller and move through it. And I think sometimes you have to be able to make whatever uh, accommodation that you do find to use, you have to be willing to make some changes to, you may have written up this elegantly balanced encounter, but if you're going to proceed and they're a character short or, or God forbid, two or more right. short, uh, you know, you might have to put a few less goblins in the room or right. make the level a little lower on that lich or whatever it was you were going to do just to let the story continue to flow. Um, I completely agree with that. I think it's, I think being flexible as a storyteller is the best thing that you can learn to be. And I think that's that's one of the, the, the key marks is that you're you're taking the time to make a story, but at the same time you're making the effort to be there for the players who are there and making it not an impossible thing. And I, I guess case in point in that is also – or I shouldn't say case in point, but I think one of the cases that you should be very careful of that I think early on a lot of storytellers will do is they will punish the person for not being there. And I think that's 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 a terrible thing to do that pushes people away from your table. And again, I fall back on the the, the need for communication and just being honest. Um, like, 
I think it, it is rampant, and I don't know if it's a gamer thing or not, but the the tendency to overcommit because you get the opportunity to play in a great story, mm-hmm. um, and you know with your friends, and that that's a really big draw. Yeah. Um, and so a lot of times you'll be thinking, yeah, that'll be fun, and you know, as you mentioned, it is going to happen, whether it's yeah. it's serious life stuff or work or you know uh whatever other minor things like uh, Michigan roads being a great example, oh, geez, you know, yeah. I, weather uh, in general. Yes, and I mean, I, I've, <laughs> I played in a game where a character drove an hour to play. Yes. Which is huge to me. That kind of blows my mind at this day and age. But at the same time, like, I remember driving an hour to go play stupid games, too. So. <laughs> but, but as, you know, you get older, too, there are a different array of responsibilities and distractions that come into it. Kids and other things that, oh God, that are, yeah. you know, going to add to that list. So you, the flexibility is going to be what gets you through that. The communication mm-hmm. is going to be what keeps your friendship running yeah, and with I mean, people. I mean, part and parcel of that is we we think about – it's going to sound really weird that this came into my head, but we talk about like life as you become a gamer and you move in through it. As as you start out early, it's easy for you to come to these events and do these things and you know maybe do weekly game sessions and things mm-hmm. like that. And then as life slowly invades your time with either kids or other pieces that – you know your work life, your travel life, things like that start getting involved and then – the one thing that most people don't think about is there's care for other people like adults and grandparents that you have to keep in mind too. And those become even more unpredictable yes. because of sometimes, you know, family responsibilities are different. Sometimes people need to move in with other people based on, uh, based on situations and, and arrangements. So I think the communication, the understanding, setting up some realistic uh, boundaries. I mean, if you're a storyteller and you think that, you know, everybody should be able to make it there weekly and whoever makes it makes it and whoever doesn't doesn't, I think is hard because I think it's going to push some players away just because they know they can't commit like that. But it doesn't mean they don't want to play. Well, and I think if you know, you know, yourself as a storyteller that this is the, the kind of thing that you just don't have a lot of flex on, you right. need to communicate that early on to people that, you know, listen, this is a a difficult campaign for me to be able to, to flex on. So if folks aren't going to be able to make it, it's going to be hard for me to work around you. So really, if you can't commit, I'd really rather, you know, I get you on the next one. Right, right. And I think in that sense, you've got to be understanding to those players who wait because I know I'm a terrible person at this. I will run games a lot longer than I expected. I've ran games for years and told people, well, the next games, you know, that I get started will involve you. And they're like, okay, when's it going to happen? And I'm like, well, we just moved into Act 4. I'm going to end it at some point. So I think that's another responsibility that you have to keep in mind there as well. So, and don't, don't overburden yourself. I mean, I was reading the discord the other day. One of our listeners runs a lot of games with a lot of people. And I worry about their psychology (laughs) and and how they're surviving this. (laughs) I I remember running a similar schedule of games when I was, you know, in my twenties. Yeah. I can't imagine doing it now. Yeah. Speaking of which, uh, we're going to jump this topic. I think we've we've done pretty well with it. Mm-hmm. But I want to ask you, because I think this is something that some of our listeners might be interested in. Mm-hmm. You're running a game, and I'm going to say this generally, for young adults. You're running yes. uh, for your – it's your niece and nephew, right? My niece and nephew. Uh, they How old are, are they? Uh, 13 and 11, oh uh, 12 and 10 when they started. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. And, uh, has it been that long? She gives it like almost a year now? We're, uh, at like the, the, the nine month ish mark right now. And how uh, regular are your games? Uh, they were running about every 
three to five weeks. That's um, not bad. And honestly, the summers killed it because they've got camps and all these other things, but they're still really eager to get back to the next session. That's um, fantastic. I would have thought it would have been the other way around, that school would have made it more challenging. I think summer, honestly, is different for kids. Well, some kids now than it was for us. Like for, for our generation coming up, it was a lot less structured. You know, it was okay. summer. You know, yeah, you, yeah. daylight came up, you know, you had breakfast, you went out and did stuff with your friends and, you know, yeah. you might have lunch at, you know, uh, Timmy's house and then, sure, you know, sure. you yeah, yeah. come in when it's dark. And okay. uh, now, you know, they've got sports teams and math camp and, you know, all these other things going on and, you know, family vacation. By the right. time you, you, you parceled it out, we really, we realized we weren't going to get another session until September. Crazy. So, I mean, are they in like theater? Do they do anything role playing or acting wise? That's what's been interesting for both of them. I was worried that they uh, wouldn't take to it because neither one has had any kind of opportunity to to, to do acting or to, to play an RPG of any sort, uh, right? Except for like the most simple like phone game that had some RGB. Uh, elements, but they're not character development or right. acting or anything. Right. It's a story, sort of. But both kids have really vivid imaginations. And since they were, you know, toddlers have been telling me stories. And okay. I think it's a, a neat sort of um, change in the dynamic of where I was the, you know, the patient adult who was willing to listen to all these fantastical stories patiently and ask questions. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, now um, there was a great moment for me when we were sitting there because I really didn't know if it was going to work. I mean, you right. never know if people are going to take to gaming until they try sure, it. Sure. But when we were sitting there at the table and I realized I had them hooked and that they not only were listening to me, but they were asking questions, they were participating, they were kind of feeling out the borders of what you know they were doing and like okay. watching that happen was really – very dynamic. I mean, like, I've been doing this for a long time, yeah, yeah. even with my my long break. Um, it, it was neat to see gamers being born. Yeah, that, that I, I'm and I'm interested about that. Now, you chose fifth edition, yes, and uh, you I actually you brought the uh, starter box, and I got to take yes. a look at it. I, I'm not, I'm, I'm happy about that. We'll talk about that mm-hmm. at some other point, but I, I like how it is. But you decided to not use the adventure in it. In this case, I was kind of um, doing – and I again, I think somebody had talked about on the Discord um, not having it anymore. Um, right. And I'd have been on a long stretch of, <laughs> of not being behind the, uh, the shield uh, uh, for a long, long time. I, I honestly can't give you a number, but it's many, many years. And um, I'd, I'd played a few times, which, uh, you know, I kept me in the loop and I kept on my gain systems right. and everything else and, and, and watched some, you know, of the web shows and other things. So I, I was still very much in gamer culture, but I hadn't Wait, been a GM. are you a Critical Role fan? I, I'm a casual Critical Role okay, fan. Okay, so you're more than me, so that puts so, you in the Sarah position. Okay. Yes. Like, I, I recognize the people, but I, I couldn't tell you about, like, you know, their characters off the top of my head or anything Fair like enough. That. Fair enough. But, um... I really was a little nervous um, because, you know, it th- that first adventure for most of us is the thing that hooked us. Yeah. And I was looking at the the, the stuff in the starter set, which is, I think, quite excellent. Yeah. Um, and a very good value for what the, mm-hmm. they're asking for it. But um, it wasn't appropriate for the people I had in front of me. And uh, flexibility, it all of those those old instincts just were, were there waiting to be tapped. So for those of you who have walked away for a while, I'll tell you, it really doesn't go away. Um, if if you were a gamer, you're still a gamer. It's like riding a bike. Yeah, you you got to get back on it. You, you might wobble a little bit that first time or two out. So, so it, you're it saying don't just grab a mountain bike and try and go down the side of a mountain. <laughs> yeah, inadvisable, but uh, how's your health coverage? Exactly. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair um, enough. 
Okay, so did you do you find something more challenging than you would with regular players? Uh, yeah, and, and, I, and I, I say regular players in the sense that you know people who get who have game uh, for a while, or at least more than just a, a a new face to to a game system. I I think I mean there are things I I have I have come up with uh, for them uh, that I wouldn't use with my adult players just simply okay. because they they are kids and right. um. Uh, as I said, a little different generationally from us with having a lot more scripted time. Um, so a lot of their free time, you know, gets goofy and silly. And I, I let them riff on stuff. I mean, we, we literally started this campaign. Like I, I made up a town. Like mm-hmm. I, I grabbed a sheet of paper, a pencil. I started sketching the town center that they were in. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know, well, what do we see? And I'm like, there's a bakery. And I'm like, well, whose bakery is it? Dave. And like, because I could tell that, you know, they've been exposed to a lot of stuff, a lot of movies and other things, but they weren't steeped in fantasy. They weren't steeped in, right. you know, Tolkien and all these other things the way that, you know, little nerdy me was at right. that age. And I had to do something for them. Okay. Uh, it's not about my story. It's about the story we're going to tell together. Right. And I'm like, okay, give them something very mundane to hook on to. And sure. the whole adventure hook came off of them going inside. And they started asking questions like, oh, like, what's he serve? And, you know, blah, 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 and yada, yada. And we had little asides, too, of like, okay, it says on my character sheet I have this many SP. What are SP? Okay, those are silver pieces. What does that mean? I'm like, all right, think about it. And I gave them, like, dollar equivalents for, like, copper, silver, gold. Okay, that's perfect. No, that's good. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. And they – like instantly like i was worried that that still wouldn't work for them that was like oh well, like i'm dropping five bucks on some baked goods great yeah i mean and, i i can honestly admit that when i go into some game systems mm-hmm. they're like you know that's three thousand septums and i'm sitting there going what the hell how much is a septum like yeah. you know how how much is a goat oh a goat's like uh, 150 septum like 150 septum yeah there are any goats here oh okay <laughs> you know like you you have to really think about economy so that's great that you were able to get them something very quick and again, it was following what they seemed to put their attention on and drawing on. So they paid a lot of attention to the baker himself. They were asking questions about him and everything else. Okay. And I ended up – I just did a a super simple first adventure for them. And this was literally totally on the fly. I right. made, made everything up. Um, you know, I, I ditched the, the, the neat starter adventure in the, the box and sure. made up my own little setting that I could drop into the Forgotten Realms if I want to or keep in my own setting if I want to. Okay. Um, made it generic enough that they could run with it. And I just dropped a little hint because I wasn't going to force them onto rails. Right. But um, that Dave, the proprietor, seemed a little upset. Okay. And, you know, they'd been there like at lunch rush when things were really busy. And, you know, they were all forced to sit at the same table. This is my one little thing that we had three players, my my, right. my wife, their aunt, and yeah. the two kids. Um, and uh, she did a wonderful job of doing a, a role play heavy um, character, um, but not initiating much, sure. letting the kids sort of drive things and then um, showing them just like how you can do things, but not telling them or, you know, like, oh, that's not a good move, like not, no metagaming stuff. Okay. And, you know, they, they're they big hearted kids. They saw this guy's, you know, upset. Well, let's go find out why he's upset. Okay. Um, turns out his daughter's missing. Uh, people took her and they want money before they'll bring her back, but he doesn't trust them to actually give her back. Right. And they're like, well, we could check that out. And off they went. And it was, you know, a simple find the bandits, free the girl kind of thing. Nice. And they really bonded on it. Okay. And, um, having a, um, NPC in the game that 
you can identify with is often a thing to, I think, uh, it goes with, you know, representation in any media. You know, this little girl who's about the same age as my niece. Right. Um, who's, you know, been taken by ruffians. Um, right. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, kept from her family really resonated. And when she got to be like one of the, the chief people that freed her, they formed a bit of a bond and they're still as the campaign is going on she still asks how she's doing she checks in on her you know the, this npc has taken on uh life and i literally came up with her on the fly and just you know threw it all down i made copious notes of anything that was you know relevant uh, i think overwatch was mentioning that you know when you yeah. do make something up make sure you note it yeah yeah and uh, I've just been sort of letting them uh, uh, poke at things okay. and, and follow down the rabbit holes that interest them. So, okay. So I, it sounds like it kind of gave you some of your juice back, your, your, your encouragement. Do you, do you feel that this is a, is a healthy thing for storytellers who maybe stepped away to, to start something like this, something fresh? Versus yeah. jumping right to writing something challenging? Because I know you've still been writing your setting for a while. Yes. And did this – do you feel that this helps you with that? Did it give you a different perspective, a different feel? Honestly, yeah. It, it's it's sort of uh, um, rejuvenating on a number of levels because, again, the, the, the enthusiasm of a new gamer is very different from the, you know – the not that people lose it, but it changes over time. Okay. Um, and uh, there's an intimidation factor of, like, if I screwed something up, would they know? They've never played. Right. Um, so, like, the stakes were a little lower. So, okay. like, not, you wouldn't necessarily say play for kids, but do a one-off uh, right. or something else where you don't have as much investment just to get your feet wet and see that, yeah, you do have it. Maybe you got to go back and practice a little bit, warm up, whatever, uh, before you take that, that challenging mountain bike trail. Right. But you can still do it. Okay. Okay. Do you do you have any specific advice for gaming with kids or gaming with with a a younger audience? Is there a a you know? Did you find that you were jumping in on them at a certain point, or did you fit? You know, is there something about like you know? Hey, they were past ten. This kind of seems like the right time to do it, or was it more along the lines of you watched them from a perspective of 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 mental you know acuity that they were this was something they were good for. Uh, a little bit of both. Okay. Um, there's always, I mean, with any age player, you want to kind of watch them and see what kind of reactions you're getting from them. Um, with the kids, I think it is more uh, important, especially during those first session or two, um, to kind of gauge what they can follow. Like, uh, my niece is uh, – the more creative of the two, like she, she is more likely to end up uh, uh, going into a creative field where he's probably going to go into engineering or something more STEM related. Just do you the, think the, they're, the gonna they're going to keep playing after this? I really hope they do. Okay. Um, I, I could see it going either way. They could, okay. they could totally be still into this. I, I, in my dream version, they come home for family visits and are like, "Hey, can you fire up a you know a, a game <laughs> session?" Or, "Hey, check out this thing I wrote. Will you play in it?" Okay. And that would be fantastic. All right. Um, but again, there's so many things in front of them and, and, and things to do and things to occupy your time with. It may just be, a, I, I hope, a fond memory that they, they played for a year or two with their aunt and uncle and enjoyed it. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. And uh, just to kind of close up this little segment, mm -hmm. like your thoughts on the D&D starter set. Was it worth the $20? Absolutely. Okay. Okay. Uh, I mean, even just for the, the fact that 
it, it has everything you absolutely would need for first through fifth uh, levels. Okay. Um, a, a decent sized adventure. You saw the, the size oh, of that yeah, thing. Oh, yeah. It was thicker than I expected. Uh, yeah. I, I expected something much more sketchy. And, and it came with pre-generated characters too. Yes. And those – the pre-gens and the dice got heavy use session one and are still being used now. Although we've done some modifications, they've gotten to understand the system better. Nice. One of them is still playing pretty much her pre-gen but with a different backstory. Okay. Um, my nephew uh, wanted to switch classes. And I'm like – Absolutely. You know, uh, let's sit down. I, I pulled out a, a the abbreviated uh, rules from the starter set okay. and let him look through those because he's a really smart kid. And I know he could be a rules lawyer really okay. quickly. And I'm like, I'm trying to make it all about story for them right now. Right. Like their, their, their parents were even asking, can we buy them some books and stuff, you know, like spare you the expense uh, and let them get some stuff. And I'm like, you know what? Let's hold off right now. It's all story for them. It's not about numbers. It's not about anything else. Right. Um, let's let them enjoy this part, and then we'll introduce that slowly as we get a little further in. Awesome, awesome. So, and it was twenty bucks, right? Yeah, 20, I think, 20 I think bucks. there was a sale that I had posted not too long ago yes. that it went down to like twelve or something. And I, I've frequently 12, seen it yeah. for fifteen. Yeah, you know, it's it's and it's honestly, I, the twenty bucks was worth it. We literally yeah. walked into Target, picked it up, and. If you're even That's fan- that right there, you, I walked into Target yes. and picked up a D and D adventure starter game. That's fantastic to me in my mind. Well, and in my youth, you know, there was one hobby shop that was yeah. in you know biking distance that we would go to that had a couple of things you could. You know, and that was the same with me. Like the only reason why I got into gaming was because it was between my middle school and my house it was a bookstore that actually sold periodicals and magazines and all kinds of stuff, but had a little shelf, yep. and on that shelf was my first gaming book that I picked up. So, yeah, total, totally get that feeling. Totally get that feeling. So, fantastic. I, I appreciate the review, and uh, I hope that we uh, we see some updates uh, as things go through. I'll definitely uh, hit you up on the Discord and uh, see how things have been progressing with, uh, with the characters. So I, I think there'll be some fun stories. Excellent. Well, we do have actually a number of questions that came through on the Discord, and I want to give them a little bit of uh, a little bit of time here. So, uh, and and I'd love for you to jump in on these with me. So, uh, okay. so start off. Uh, the Mad Elf asked, "In an idea for the mystery uh, show, what do you think of mystery settings for your game? Uh, as in not revealing plot elements beyond what the players need to know in order to make their characters. Uh, your group will be Pinkerton detectives in the Old West to start building characters, and then you unfold a Cthulhu or alien invasion story. Um, part of me really likes that as an idea, and part of me kind of hates it. And I'll say that the part of me that really likes it is the part of me that would love to do it to specific players. I think there would be players who who would love to create their characters for a setting that then get thrown into a crazy situation. Um, but I think on the other side of that, you've got to communicate with your story because player you throwing people into a situation that they're not prepared for as players is not good communication because they might not want to play that game. And I, I think you are reading it really well in that um, knowing your players. Yeah. Um, some of them are really adaptive and, mm-hmm. and are going to be like, oh, wow, this is a new mystery. I'm going to chase this down. Great. Right. Um, and it, when you have that, that established thing, you, you know that, you know, this other character or other player, um, mm-hmm. 
doesn't do well with you know being blindsided by things. They just they're, 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 they they like to have a little time to to, right. to process. Right, right. Um. So maybe that's not the greatest thing to drop on them. Yeah. Um. But then you could also do this as a short thing that you run with a couple of other people you know would be drawn to that sort of thing. So absolutely, I think there's great merit in having that kind of you know variety and mixing things up. But if you don't know if it would work with your characters, that probably gives you a, a moment to pause and think about it before you do it. Right. Right. I think. And I think you want to have seasoned players who know the system um, stepping into a situation like this where you, you're throwing this kind of confusing cowboys versus aliens out of a, just a cowboy setting uh, because they're going to feel off-put that, that, that they're dealing with something that is not – that they're not capable of handling. Absolutely. Uh, it's an opportunity to both delight um, and dismay characters yeah. uh, depending on uh, – the the person and how even how you present it yeah it it, it if I mean for a, a a talented storyteller I think you could do anything yeah um but that's you know part of that is knowing your players and knowing how to to present it to them and how to segue in yeah and I think I, I, I we've talked about the types of players there are there are some players who would rather explore the world and find their own nooks and crannies and make mm-hmm. it their own and there are players who would look at this and say. You know, uh, I, I can't accept this. This isn't what I want to play because I don't. I'm not into jump scares. That's not what I'm here for. Yep. You know, um, and you didn't let me know that this that I was going to have to deal with tentacles. You know, and stuff like that. I'm not. Cold, I'm not cool with that kind yep. of thing. So I think some of it has to be communication. I think some of it has to be uh, knowing your players. Yes. So cool. Um, so I hope that helped the meadow. Uh, Techno Lich, are there any game systems from your past that you think back fondly but realize the kind of poorly designed system? Have you ever thought about a journey through a game system that has led you to a worldview approach to gaming today? Yes. Uh, my first game that we were just actually talking about, I saw, uh, I, I was coming home from middle school and I stopped by this place and for literally a better part of two or three months, I was saving money because I saw a book that had a giant robot with a gun on the front of it. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, what the hell is this? I need to learn this thing. And I kept picking it up and I kept picking it up and eventually bought it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was Robotech, which is a Palladium universe. Yes. Uh, and it's its own setting because it's also uh, a, a, a anime that's mm-hmm. well known by a lot of people. I did not know it as well until after, which was funny. Um. That makes sense, though. I remember because I was I, being a little older than you. Yeah. Uh, I used to get up in junior high and watch that in the morning before going to school. Yeah. It wasn't until I caught it on on uh, effectively a B network mm-hmm. later, and I was like, "This is what it was," and I enjoyed it. Not all of it, because if anybody knows Robotech, who's on this, love is powerful, and apparently so is song. Um, yeah. Uh, but we'll move away from that because uh, that was not included anywhere really in the in the the game. But I still have fond memories of it. But I will tell you, I have never played it again. I have books. I have everything ready to go for it. But I've never played it again. And it's because I'll honestly say the system kind of sucks. <laughs> Palladium is numbers heavy. Yes. It's charts heavy. It's it's an interesting world. I played in Rifts following up because I knew Palladium. Mm-hmm. So I moved right to Rifts and I moved to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Super Spies uh, and other strangeness. And 
every time I would move through these, I would love the the details that were put into them and the the setting, and I loved riffs and lee lines. And then when I found out that the creators were from Michigan, I thought that was really cool because they put a lot of names of the local areas. I mean, I saw Farmington listed as where one of the lee lines cut through, and I went, "How is this in this book?" I live in Farmington, and then I met Kevin Simbetta, and I went, "Oh, he's local. That explains everything." So it. For me, that was my fond memory of a game that I probably will not go back to. But if someone asked me, I, I might run Robotech something. <laughs> well, and, and I think, too, as you um, get exposed to more systems and play more, uh, the the faults, gaps, et cetera, in some of them, uh, you can continue forgiving because you love yeah. the setting so much. Uh, and other ones you might not be as forgiving on. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think like our, our, our shared experience uh, last year at uh, Gen Con. Yeah. Uh, we got to play a system we, none of us had played in a long time. Jesus, yeah. And it was kind of a disappointing event. Yeah. But again, I think that was maybe as much or more about uh, how it was run than oh, necessarily the system. 100%. But, I, the, but the system did it no favors. No, it did not. And uh, Shadowrun is a hard system, without yes. a doubt. And the setting that it was set in – or the setting to be played in, mm-hmm. and I'm not talking about the game. I'm talking about where we were sitting was yeah. in honestly a horrific setting for it. We were thrown together with a, too many players in my personal opinion. Yes. And we had some who were drunk. We had some who just were there. And then we had a GM who was literally railroading us through a story, which felt ridiculous. Yes. It should have been tongue-in-cheek. It should have been. And he did not manage no. to capture that. No. He, was, he wasn't there. Again, we, we talk about why we go to the table. Yeah. He wasn't there for the same reasons no. that uh, uh, you hope people are going yeah. to be. Because I've played Shadowrun with Chris multiple mm-hmm. times, Overwatch. And he's amazing. At it. He makes it feel like a dream. And see, honestly, he is the only person I know that I would accept an invitation to a game from. Otherwise, I'm pretty much done with it. Yeah. No, I get that. I get that. So what was it for you? What was your uh, what was your fond memory uh, from your beginnings? Uh, in this case, systems wise, um, I tried a lot of different things uh, like Twilight 2000. Oh, yeah. And okay. other things like that. Yeah. that era. It, was, it was a lot of experimentation. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I always came back to D and D. Um, no matter how crappy it was. <laughs> yeah, uh, it had its its own. Uh, sorry, uh, sorry. A D and D was fine. We'll step away from that. Wow, uh, that, that had its moments too. But <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, it, we we everything has its growing pains. It does. It does. Um, but uh, honestly, for me, what was kind of the, like a revelatory moment that sticks in my head is um, there was the Judges Guild modules. Uh, that were a third party, uh, thing. Okay. I don't know how big it ever got, uh, realistically, but there was one dungeon master in a red. It was like two or three years older than us. Uh-huh. Um, and he ran, uh, the search for calendars gold module, which was this killer GM module. Like, okay. I mean, you were going to die. Like okay. we had no idea, but, um, but the thing is it was such a, a neat over the top, fascinating, departure from the D&D modules because we you know read as many of those as we could get our hands on right. and we were kind of familiar with their beats and the way that they told stories and this was going off totally in a different way and yeah. like it, it was sort of like you know stepping out of you know your PG movies into the R-rated world okay. and uh, suddenly like oh wow I'm not as safe as I thought I was right and that sort of just opened my 
imagination in a, a different way. Like I still remember the guy who played it, John Rabel. Okay. I don't know if he'll ever hear this, but I hope he does. He was part of the reason that kept me wanting to get behind the screen and do different things. Nice. Uh, from my early days in. Wow. Okay. And uh, so that for me, it was, it was a module, but nice, it, you know, nice. Uh, in fact, Steve got me a copy of it. He found on eBay a few years ago and I have it sitting on my gaming shelf. That is fantastic. Yeah, I, I will keep my tattered copy of Robotech sitting on my shelf. It will still always be there in, in, in the books, and uh, I don't think I'll ever get rid of it. I feel bad that I lost a whole bunch of books to uh, a friend who moved away. He borrowed a bunch to play mm-hmm. with, and I lost those, but I never lost my main book, which I was happy with. So, uh, yeah, it's it will always be there. That place that will always be I I did second edition. I did mm-hmm. third edition. I did 3.5. Did four and I think I did four or five, but uh, uh, I like the new edition. I like where it's gone. I've, mm-hmm. you know, I, as I said, I went through the Palladium universe, but uh, yeah, there's a lot of games that they're neat and they have a neat setting, but I think some of the rules are exceptionally off-putting. And I love Seventh C, and I forgive a lot of its insanity that's in it uh, because it is not. A perfect system by any means and i think second edition has a lot of things that it can learn uh over mm-hmm. time but i think 7c as a whole is a narrative story it's not a dice heavy story uh i have to definitely i class it in my mind along with the the white wolf games uh yeah story heavy mechanic light and with some problematic elements but you're you're there for the the backstory the the setting the the rich kind of drama that you get out of it yeah creating a a dungeon crawl in seventh c feels weird it has to be more pulpy it has to be more about the scenes and the elegance more raiders of the lost ark less you know uh you know traditional dungeon crawl kind of thing you know it, it it's funny to to talk about in that sense, but like you know, you have your first person shooter games mm-hmm. where it's a squad going in and murdering things, and then you have your story narrative uh, adventure games where, yes, the Laura Croft character can jump a fifty foot chasm with a pick and make it to the other side, and if they roll well enough, they don't fall to forty stories into the water and have to make a daring sea escape. They could climb up and you know poke fun at the bad guy who's on the other side, uh, about to get you know killed by the zombie horde. You know, as you get away to the chopper that just happens to be outside, kind of a thing. You know, it's it's a totally different take on things, um, where the dice tell help you tell the story in a different way yes and they, I, I think it's it's always even if you don't find yourself spending a lot of time there you should give a chance to some of these other genres other uh, opportunities uh to play because you might find even just some elements that you pull from it and use later i agree i that's a great way to do it i hope that is good enough for you technolich uh another question came in from the mad elf actually i'm going to skip to Knox's because i know i did one for mad elf and i want to make sure if we've got time for it he asked the question what do you think are the benefits of a co-gm game and what are your thoughts on about the drawbacks now i will honestly say this i have not co-gm'd a game i've been in games that have been co-gm'd but i've never done it and i think it would be kind of scary for me in a way I mean, I'd like to try it at some point, but it's been a long time since I've done one. Okay, uh, decades. Uh, but uh, this was one of my friends that we had uh, literally uh, 
learned the games together in junior high, high school, and into okay. college. Right. And um, uh, amusingly enough, had homebrewed um, remarkably similar systems okay. um, uh, that we would then just start bouncing ideas off of each other. So you could see we, we had a very strong connection. And although we were different types of storytellers, um, uh, it was an interesting experience to uh, do a true uh, co-GM because we had a large group at that point. And being able to just hand off uh, a chunk of the action or, or mm-hmm. part of what's going on to the person better suited or to someone who, who, who wrote that part of it or right, right. whatnot. It took more uh, planning uh, to set up. Um, I, I think in a freewheeling environment, it could really diverge quickly. Yeah. But um, if you find – like I know uh, we've seen some things on the Discord where people have talked about doing large groups and things like that. Yeah. Even having like a designated player who's like an NPC who sometimes helps or who keeps track of initiative for you or other things that have been mentioned right, on there. Right. Like those bits of offloading do let you kind of expand your scope. And like in this case, we were dealing with large groups and like some kind of like <laughs> – getting to the level of tactical battles and stuff. So you okay. having those, those extra uh, pair of eyes and another brain to handle parts of it was, was really useful. Okay. So you're, you're seeing Koji, I mean, more, less of as co-storytelling and more as being able to parcel out sometimes those mm-hmm. duties. Okay. I could, I guess in that sense, I have had that a little bit in some of my games, but nothing to the extent that it was consistent. Mm-hmm. Um, so no, but I could see that being really huge benefit, and and I definitely get the the detriments of you know divergent ideas about where the story is going or what an NPC is thinking is always a challenging thing. Um, in that regard, it it definitely ups your um, odds a little bit too in favor of of making a, a divergent mistake uh, or or having something where you're on a different page. So uh, having that that close relationship and the communication is is definitely key. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I hope that kind of helps you, Knox, on your question there. Um, so I'm going to grab uh, – I want to say that one's going to – that's something I want to do probably in the next session. So I'll do this one for Mad Elf. Uh, when do you, as a storyteller, call a timeout or pause the game to address something that happened around the table? Um, I know we kind of brought this up in – I want to say not last week or the weeks before a discussion um, with Etiquette. I think that when you're talking about a situation, you've kind of got to you got to kind of feel out what that situation is. I think if it's an argument between players, it's mm-hmm. something that needs to be paused almost immediately and say, "Okay, is this meta, or are you guys, you know, are you arguing in character? Let's 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 get this resolved real quick." If it's a player GM situation where the storyteller and a player are having a problem with maybe a rule or or the way something is said, I think. A timeout only needs to be made if the player isn't backing down, if the player isn't saying – it is ruining the fun, is, is is interrupting things. And you need to pull them to the side and say, hey, this game is for everybody, not just you. Can we move beyond this right now? I'm, I'm, I'm asking and then I'm going to tell. And I, I would agree with you that the, it, it, those things rise to that level of, yeah, we're going to stop the, the, the train uh, for a moment because – they have the potential for doing real long-term damage to the group in terms of relationships and and everything else. Let's let's make exactly. sure that we're on the right page with it. Um, as a quick callback to talking about gaming with mm-hmm. kids, yeah, a uh, thing I don't use with my my adult players, um, but I do with the, use with the kids. Um, 
when they space out onto their phone, which is supposed to be turned <laughs> off. Okay. Or um, they're being goofy, but not like normal goofy of just, you know, making a joke or whatever, but like sure. consistently. Um, and they're being like rude or cutting somebody else off. Right. Um, I have a tally sheet. Oh. And the tally sheet um, is a – and I, I've been very clear with them about this. Um, each time they add one in there, it's a plus modifier on the random encounter uh, uh, table. Okay. And it does two things. It makes the encounter more likely to be a unfavorable encounter. Okay. And it makes the person with the most tally marks the first target. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Okay. Got them some skin in the game. They can win pluses and minuses too for right. being like – you know. Uh, just doing something really thoughtful or doing something really nice, you know, we'll put it in there um, and sort of re- reduce that. Debt. And it resets every every session. There's no carryover or anything. But I, I found that, like, that that blunt instrument um, for young players was useful. Okay. So one of the things that I know that I used to do in 7C as far as the, the rulings, like, I wouldn't do something to that extent, but some of the game systems have like drama dice mm-hmm. where you can reward players or you can use that kind of piece to do that. I think that's still a pretty valid way of handling it. Um, I think that if there's an ongoing issue, maybe between two players who either constantly are arguing or you have a player who's, who's being consistent, something to remind them might not be a bad way of doing it. And I think that's, I think what you're doing is a good uh, early skill check for young uh, players, and I'm not saying that's something that you should maybe you know involve with adulthood, but I don't necessarily see it as a total bad idea. I mean, but I, I would say be mindful of 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 your punishments or detriments. And I try again to kind of give them control over it too, in the sense of you know you're you're being disruptive, you're ruining the game for everyone. So right, you know, if you want things to go wild and crazy in the game and be a wild and wacky time. It might be milder and wackier for you, and it puts right. a little bit of personal, you know, skin in the game. But it's not just the 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 hand of the GM, you know, stomping them or like take damage or you know whatever, you know, giving them a, a negative. It's sort of a like, hey, listen, you're going in this direction, just you know, so you're aware. And they they tend to self correct, you know, like again, a different batch of kids might not have as good a result. I don't know. Right, right. No, no. I, I definitely see that. I think that's a pretty good idea. Well, without Sarah here, uh, wrap-up is going to be relatively easy because I have no idea what next week's topic is going to be. So uh, it'll be another mystery until a little bit later. Hopefully we'll be able to think. It's been a complete pleasure having you here, Earl. Uh, I think tonight went exceptionally well. And no, I'm not going to answer your question. It's going to have to wait till next week. <laughs> so... Ah, Kate, if you would, let's get us finished up on this. You can find us on Twitter at st underscore conclave or Instagram at st underscore conclave. Uh, Remember, you can always jump onto our Discord. You can find that link on Twitter and talk with us, share some ideas, and uh, join us on Patreon as well if you'd like to help us. Thank you again, Eric and Illy May, for uh, helping us. We appreciate your patronage. Uh, our intro music was Beyond the Warriors by Gooey Frog, and our outro, which you're hearing right now, is Only Our Footprints uh, in the Sand by Midair Machine. Both are found on freemusicarchive.org. The podcast tonight, again, is at Detroit, uh, podcastdetroit.com, or at uh, on Twitter, at podcastdetroit. Our engineer is Kate, and she is fantastic. 
Uh, but I'd like to thank everyone who helps us out. Uh, Vicky, who came up with tonight's show idea. Thank you so much, sweetie. Uh, Sean and uh, Sarah, when you hear this eventually, uh, I hope you, had, you guys had a great vacation and are enjoying yourselves up there. And I'd like to thank our listeners and our friends. You all have a wonderful night, and we'll talk soon. Thank you.